0: A couple of weeks ago, God showed me, I'm not going to call it a vision, but it was like an impression in my mind of a train going through a tunnel, and it was dark in there. You could see up ahead, there was light at the end of the tunnel, and the Lord kind of impressed on my heart that the church has been going through a tunnel. It was a dark time. What's this all about? What's, what's God want us to do? And we're in the tunnel, and you look out the window, but you can't see anything, but up ahead, you can see light. And I'm just going to tell you right now, I believe the train's about to come out of the tunnel. I believe the church is about to come out of this dark time. As we can see with, uh, I've already seen a couple people I haven't seen in a long time here this morning. It's good. Welcome back. Good to see you. Glad you're here. Last week uh, I got a phone call from Smith Farms Manor. And they're asking if our church is interested in going back in on a Sunday morning and starting a church service there again. And uh, i, I got to call them back the first of this week and let them know. So if you are someone who is interested in communicating the good news to people on a Sunday morning who are retired, uh, Smith Farms is an uh, assisted living facility. If you're interested in doing that, like once a month, be on a, be on a rotation team, or if you can play a piano, or if you can play a guitar and want to bring a guitar, or if you just like to sing some of the old hymns, a cappella, if you'd like to be on one of those teams and team up with somebody, you won't be doing the whole thing. We're trying to put teams together. If you'll come and see me, let me know. We'll get your names on a line, and we'll put together a schedule. And we're going to, hopefully, we're going to start going over there Easter Sunday. How many think that's a good idea? That's light at the end of the tunnel. Because for a whole year we haven't been able to do that. I feel like Satan has kind of confined us, compressed us, feel kind of suppressed. The church isn't able to do what the church does. But we're coming out of that, and I'm excited about that. So I collect things that slipped past the editor, and i got a couple of those I want to share this morning. Uh, This is an ad from the Detroit News. Quote, Some 40... Percent of female gas station employees in Metro Detroit are women. Up from almost none a year ago. You missed the first part, didn't you? Some 40% of female gas station attendants in Metro Detroit are women. Okay, here's a classified ad in Entrepreneur Magazine. How many know what on, an entrepreneur is? Somebody comes up with fresh ideas? Publicize your business absolutely free. Send $6. That's entrepreneurial right there. <laughs> and last but not least, this, this is a headline from the Toronto Star. Quote, marijuana issue sent to a joint committee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mistakes, mistakes. We all make them, don't we? We don't like to admit we make mistakes, and we sure don't want anybody else to know we made a mistake, but we all make mistakes. If it was some man writing this story of Jacob that we've been studying these past weeks, if it was some man or woman who was writing about the patriarchal fathers, about our relationship, what we can learn about our relationship with God from Jacob and his relationship with God, the story wouldn't be coming out like we're reading it they would have edited it. They would have taken out the things that didn't really apply, and they would have focused on the things that did apply. They would have made him out to be a hero and uh, uh, would have taken all his mistakes out of the story because that's not a good role model for everybody else to follow. But the Holy Spirit doesn't write stories like that. The Holy Spirit sees all of us including our weaknesses, our mistakes, our failures. He sees it all. So when we read about Jacob, it's, uh, it's the real deal. Just like you are the real deal. And you've not arrived yet. That's the good news. If you, if you were filled with the Spirit and you have everything in you, and the result is what you are today. We've, we're hopeless, but the good news is God's got something better, just beyond what we can see. He's got something better. So we're gonna we're gonna be here in Genesis chapter thirty three today, and uh, I wanna I want us to look at some things we learned from that. We're gonna conclude this series today. We're gonna kind of wrap it up and see how it all ends for Jacob who was a deceiver, and who had been deceived again and again and again through his life. And he deceives again and again. We're going to talk about the why he is deceived. And why does he function in a way that he feels like he has to fool everybody else to believe in he's something that he's really not. So let's look at uh, Genesis 33. Let's look at verses 1, 2, and 3. And then I've got a comment to make on it. Jacob looked up. And there was Esau coming with his four hundred men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground, seven times as he approached his brother. Here's the first lesson we learned. Jacob's distrust in God led to his human fear. If you don't trust in God, you will fear people. And one of the common problems we all have is we tend to fear people. We fear rejection, we fear ridicule, We feel we're, we're afraid to say something to somebody for fear of the backlash that may come. So we don't speak the truth in love because we're afraid somebody's going to get offended. And in our country today, everybody's offended about something. How many know what I'm talking about? Everything offends somebody. So he doesn't trust his brother. Of course, he's got reason not to trust his brother. That twin brother is the one who said, I'm going to kill you. As soon as dad's out of the way and I don't have to worry about honor and dad, I'm going to kill you. So he ran from from his brother and he's been hiding ever since. He fears his brother. Why does he fear his brother? Because he doesn't trust God. If you trust God, you don't have to be afraid of anything. If God is for you, who can be against you? We need to kind of remind ourselves of that because it's human nature to be afraid of somebody, to be afraid of their reaction, to be afraid of their response to us, what they're going to do to us. So he doesn't trust God with his problem. If you and I don't trust God with our problem, then we're afraid of somebody. Maybe we're afraid of our spouse because we can't trust God. Or we're afraid of our boss or our co-workers. Because we don't trust God. We need to trust God. Here's a man who wasn't afraid to wrestle with God all night long. But he bows down to his brother. You see you see what's happening here? Do you see yourself in the story? Because the story is written so that we can see ourselves, so that we can learn something from ourselves. Today is Palm Sunday. It's the, it's the day that we commemorate Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem. And all the people were, were, were singing praises to him. They were dropping palm leaves down, play, laying their garments down for that donkey to go over while Jesus rides into town. Here comes the king, Hosanna to the king. And they were singing, singing the kind of things that they sang in the Old Testament for King David. And they're singing it again for Jesus and the religious people came up and told Jesus will you please tell your people to stop doing that they need to be quiet they, they shouldn't be using these Old Testament praises for the Messiah because you're just Jesus and Jesus wasn't afraid of the people. He turned to those guys and he said, listen, I'm going to tell you, if the people don't cry out, the stones will cry out. Something's got to cry out. Something has got to recognize that the Messiah is coming to town. He wasn't afraid of the people. So Jacob's distrust in God led to a human fear. And if you and I don't trust God, we'll be afraid of people. We'll be intimidated by people. And everybody in this room knows what I'm talking about. So here's the second thing I want us to see as the story unfolds, verses 4, 6, and 7. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you, he asked. Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given Your servant. Okay, I'm going to read on. Um, Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all, Joseph and Rachel and they too bowed down. So everybody, Jacob is a leader. He's influenced his whole family to be afraid of people. So they're all bowing down to Esau because they're all afraid of him. You see, if you're afraid of something, you pass that on to everybody else. I think we've all heard a story of a a woman uh, whose child was afraid of birds and did not know why her children were all afraid of birds. Why should you be afraid of birds? And then she remembered that when she was a little girl, she was in a crib covered with a net and a bird somehow got in there and flew around in there and it terrified her. It didn't hurt her, it just terrified her. And here she was years later as an adult passing that fear on to her children. If you're afraid of something, you pass that on to your family, you pass that on to your children, you pass it on to the next generation. I think we ought to be afraid of God and pass that fear on. Somebody say amen. That's good stuff. So he's afraid, so he bows down, bows down worship, has all these plans to give all his wealth away to his brother as a bribe so he won't harm him, and they're all bowing down to him, and his brother comes up, throws his arms around him, kisses him, says, it's so good to see you. God has turned his heart around. Has God turned your heart around? As mine, I'm nothing like I used to be. He has changed my heart along the way. And it wasn't just a quick thing that he did. It's been a slow thing. You know, some of the the best things you have for dinner are slow cooked. And God works slow in our lives. And he's not even done yet. He's still working in my heart. He's still working in your heart. You're not a completed project, aren't you glad? There's better things to come in your life. Proverb 21 1 says, In the Lord's hand, that's the key, in the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels toward all who please him. And God can take the king and turn his heart around. Did you know that? That's why we Christians are told to pray for governmental leaders over us, people over us. We're not just supposed to criticize and condemn and put all kinds of hate stuff on Facebook. We're not just supposed to criticize. We are supposed to pray. We should pray for those representatives in Washington that are leading our country. We should be praying for our president, whether he's a Republican or a Democrat. We should pray for him because he's still our president. He's still making decisions we have to live with. They affect us. Some of you, I remember, when you first started coming to this church, the last thing on your mind was being a giver. You came here to take. You came here to receive something. You came here because we we you liked our you liked our show on Sunday morning. But God got a hold of your heart along the journey. And today you're no longer takers, you're givers. You are investors, major investors. You put your heart and soul into this church, and this church couldn't survive if it's not for you carrying it. You become the church itself rather than just coming to it. God changes us. And if God has changed you, he's changed me, he can change anybody. And that's why I keep doing this, because I can't wait to see who he's going to change next as he opens up us up. So Esau's heart's been changed but Jacob doesn't get it yet. Let's read on verses 8 through 11. Esau asked, What's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? To find favor in your eyes, my lord, he said. And Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you have received me favorably, please accept the present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. So Jacob has been, has been in this relationship with God up north, up in Peden uh, Aram, with Uncle Laban, and God has prospered him, God has blessed him, God has given him favor. I guess you call that life, when God gives you favor, when his blessings are in your life, and everything you set out to do succeeds, and you you just, life is just good when things go your way, and things have been going his way because of God's favor. But all of a sudden, as he comes back home, he seems to think God's favor is over. He seems to think his favor isn't going to be there anymore. So he's bowing down to his brother. He's given away his livelihood, the blessings of God that God's poured into his life. He's given them away. And once he's made a decision to give them away, he deals with it. You know, you don't give away your stuff without thinking about it. There's a cost involved when God gives you favor. And you give that favor to somebody else. There's a cost involved. All of us in this room got a pretty sizable uh, stimulus check, didn't we? That's pretty nice when you get that in the mail. And all of a sudden, it kind of takes some pressure off. And you can decide, what am I going to do with this? But I want you to think, most of us, our income has remained the same all the way through the pandemic. Not all of us. Some of us have been, been hurt financially. But my income hadn't changed a bit. I've been, I've been right on working. That income's kept right on coming in. So why do I deserve that check? Why should I get that check that came from somebody else that maybe is in trouble? Their tax dollars going to me. Why should that be? Maybe we should stop and think, what should I do with this? What would God have me do with this $1,400? Or $2,800? Or more if you got a bunch of kids. What does God want you to do with that? Good thing for us, To consider, once he decided he was going to give it away, which he had to work through, then his brother says, I don't want that. Just keep it. God's been good to me. I don't need it. But it was real easy for him. Once he had determined to give it up, it was real easy for him to say, no, no, no. I want to give this to you. I want to pass it on. I want to pass on the blessings. Sacrificial generosity. Every Christian ought to come to this point where we trust God, we relate to God, and we're willing for this sacrificial generosity to be a part of our life. God gives us a blessing for what reason? because he wants to make us rich? Or maybe there's a better reason. Maybe he wants to do something else through us. He didn't have faith in God, but he had faith in his gifts his blessings, his stuff. Might you have faith in your stuff more than you have faith in God who gave you the stuff? We we need to come back to that faith relationship with God. Giving and receiving, reaping and sowing should be a normal part of every Christian's life. If If we say we're people of God, if we say we trust God, that we're Christians then we need to see God involved in our life. And this giving and receiving ought to be a normal part of us. To receive a gift from an enemy is something we don't want to do. We reject that gift because we're afraid it's a bribe. We don't want a gift from our enemy, but we will take a gift from our friend. So giving a gift is a sign of goodwill. Receiving a gift is a sign of goodwill as we're seeing this from the story here so he's got Jacob the hero that we're looking at has a problem with imaginary it's an imaginary problem imaginary it's not a real problem have you ever had an imaginary problem some time ago I had to make a phone call was not a phone call I wanted to make I, I feared that phone call because I feared the reaction. But I had to make the phone call. I had to communicate. Boy, did I did not want to do that. My, my, I had butterflies in my stomach. I was nervous, talked with Anita. She was nervous. Made the phone call. Gave the, the news I had to give. And boy, was I surprised. The reaction I got was not what I expected was very positive. And when I hung up that phone, I thought to myself, there was all that nervousness, all the butterflies in my stomach, all for nothing. I was so worried. It was an imaginary problem I had. And perhaps you have an imaginary problem that paralyzes you and holds you back like Jacob. Are you losing sleep? Over an imaginary problem that hasn't even manifested itself yet? You're just afraid it's going to? That's called fear, church. God hasn't called us to be people of fear. All right, let's go on to the next lesson we learned in verses 12, 13, and 14. Then Esau said, Let us be on our way. I'll accompany you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are tender and that I must care for the ewes and cows that are nursing their young. If they are driven hard, just one day all the animals will die. So let my Lord go on ahead of his servant while I move along slowly at the pace of the flocks and herds before me and the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in seer. He's referring to Mount Seir, which is where he grew up, and it's where his inheritance is. He's going to go back to Mount Seir. So here, here's my point. Let God set the pace you go in life. Let God set that pace. Sometimes we're way ahead of ourselves. We're ahead of God. And God hasn't showed up when we want him there, and we get frustrated because God wasn't there when we got there. Well, maybe we just ran ahead of God. Sometimes God is just slow. Like your garden. You plant that thing. You put those tomato plants in or whatever else it is. And you got to go and water that every day. And you got to make sure bugs don't get in it. And all you can do is wait for your garden to grow. It's a lot of things God grows, he grows slow, slowly. He's not in a big hurry. Have you noticed that? He's not in a big hurry. So let God set the pace. Timing is everything in the kingdom of God. You've got to be on God's time schedule, not yours. And sometimes we need to let God slow us down. Sometimes things happen in our life, they just slow us down. We don't like being slowed down because we're Americans. We're in a hurry, right? We're on the clock. But God is just on His time schedule. I mean, where is this promise that Jesus is coming back any day and we've been waiting on that I remember when I was a brand new Christian and I was in Bible school and we were talking, things were happening in the Holy Land in Israel and we expected Jesus to come back any day we were so excited. Some of my friends were putting off getting married because, you know, you don't want to raise kids in the tribulation. We didn't know where we were in God's time schedule and here we are all these years later still waiting for Jesus to come back. It's as if he's really not coming back. But the fact is, he is. He's just not in a hurry because he's not willing that any should perish. And there's still a few of your friends that have to make a decision for Christ before he comes back. So we need to get on the job, amen? So he says, I'll see you in Seir. You go, ahead of, you go on ahead of me, and we'll, we'll all show up down there in Mount Seir. You just wait for us. We'll be there. We pick up the story in verse 17. Here's the next point. Uh, I missed a point, didn't I? Oh, th- no, that's right. We're going to skip down to verse 17. Jacob, however, went to Sukkoth, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. That is why the place is called Sukkoth. After Jacob came from Patan Aram, he arrived safely in the city of Seshem in Canaan and camped within sight of the city. For a hundred pieces of silver he bought from the sons of Hamar, the father of Seshem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. There he set up an altar and called it El Elohim. Israel. El is a word for God. El, Elohi, Israel, the Lord God of Israel. That's what that means. This is the first time he's claimed his name, Israel. Remember, they changed his name from Jacob to Israel. He's now claiming that he's coming back home, almost. He settles in the hiding place. In the hiding place. The hiding place is where his brother can't find him. See, he's never resolved this. He's seen God do an amazing work turning his brother around. But he still can't embrace it. He's still trying to hide. He goes to Sukkoth. He's been... Wandering, wandering from place to place, just like his grandfather Abraham. Never able to settle down. And finally he gets back in the Holy Land and he buys land. He's going to settle down in the land of Israel. He's finally come home, or so he thinks. So he goes to Sukkoth, the safe place. We've got a map here I want to put up here because these, these place names would get lost if we don't understand it. Here is Padden Abram, clear up here. This is where he's been up here with Uncle Abram, uh, excuse me, Uncle Laban. And he comes all the way back home. That's a long journey. And you have to do it on foot with a bunch of lambs and animals and kids. He's all the way back down here. And right here is where he meets up with his brother. And he says, I'm going to, we'll meet you here in Mount Seir. You go on back, we'll meet you there, Mount Seir down here. But he cuts over here to Sukkoth just out of Seshem. He lied to his brother. He's still deceiving. He deceives right up to the end because he doesn't trust God. Doesn't trust God. I want you to trust God. So he's at Sukkoth, that's not home. One more part of the story, we have to jump over to chapter 35, verse 1. Then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. I want you to go back, I want you to go to Bethel. Beth is the Hebrew word for house. El is the Hebrew word for God. Bethel, house of God. I want you to go to the house of God. Sukkoth, the hiding place, isn't good enough. It's your place. Yeah, you've bought it. You bought the real estate. You've settled it. You're building a house. Here's where you're living. But that's not where I want you to stay. There's a better place for you. It's the house of God. You need to move to the house of God. Can we put the map back up here? So here he comes down here to the area. Finally, here's Bethel right here. Bethel. Sukkoth isn't good enough. He's a little bit closer. He's not there yet, but he's a little bit closer. Every day I walk with the Lord. I'm a little bit closer. I haven't arrived. When I arrived, you can come to my funeral, but I haven't arrived yet. I'm still on the journey. I'm a little closer than I used to be. Next year, I'll be a little closer, but my goal is the house of God. The land I buy, the house I build down here may have my name on it, but that's not what it's all about. There's a better place for me. It's the house of God. One of these days I'm going to be there. You can cry for yourself when I'm gone, but don't cry for me. Uh Uh-uh. I'm on my way. I'm anxious. Go up to Bethel, the house of God. There's a better place There's a better place for you. You are all, all of us, we are all established down here on planet Earth. But there's a better place for us. And the good thing about the new covenant that we have as Christians is Jesus died for us, paid the price for us. He is risen from the dead. That's what Easter's all about, which gives us hope. So no matter how how well we feel we're doing down here on this earth, there is something better. This isn't enough. There's got to be something more. There's got to be something better. And through the Holy Spirit, we can get a taste of that heaven right down here. Healing is a taste of heaven. It's when God reaches down and touches somebody. It's amazing. Deliverance is a touch from heaven down here we get to experience that and that's such good news the question for you and me all of us is are we really headed for the house of God are we really headed for where God wants us to go or are we entrenched where we want to go is it all about us or is it all about God that's the question and I want to encourage you Embrace the house of God. Embrace that as your goal. Embrace that is what you're reaching for. The house of God. You won't be content completely till you get there. Can we bow our heads together? Now, let me just ask this question. Would you like to invite Jesus to be your Savior? Would you like to have your sin washed away? Would you like to have that hope restored in you? Would you like to have the favor of God following you every step of your life, no matter how much you mess up? Would you like to have that? The way you do that is to embrace Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And I just want to ask, how many of you are ready to come home? Would you raise your hand if you want to accept Jesus as your Savior? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. God is so good. Thank you. Let's all say this prayer together. And those of you at home, I want to encourage you to say this prayer right in your living room. You can make this your prayer. Heavenly Father, let's say it together. Heavenly Father, I believe in you. And I thank you for Jesus. He paid the price for my sin and I am a sinner I ask you to forgive my sin send your Holy Spirit into my heart and help me to live for you I pray it in Jesus name amen amen if you said that prayer here or in in your living room if you said that prayer God heard you you just stepped into a covenant relationship with him Good things are yet ahead.